story eight of life's little ironies by thomas hardy this librivox recording is in the public domain story eight a tradition of eighteen hundred and four the widely discussed possibility of an invasion of england through a channel tunnel has more than once recalled old solomon selby's story to my mind the occasion on which i numbered myself among his audience was one evening when he was sitting in the yawning chimney-corner of the inn-kitchen with some others who had gathered there and i entered for shelter from the rain withdrawing the stem of his pipe from the dental notch in which it habitually rested he leaned back in the recess behind him and smiled into the fire the smile was neither mirthful nor sad not precisely humorous nor altogether thoughtful we who knew him recognized it in a moment it was his narrative smile breaking off our few desultory remarks we drew up closer and he thus began my father as you mid know was a shepherd all his life and lived out by the cove four miles yonder where i was born and lived likewise till i moved here shortly afore i was married the cottage that first knew me stood on the top of the down near the sea there was no house within a mile and a half of it it was built a purpose for the farm shepherd and had no other use they tell me that it is now pulled down but that you can see where it stood by the mounds of earth and a few broken bricks that are still lying about it it was a bleak and dreary place in winter time but in summer it was well enough though the garden never came to much because we could not get up a good shelter for the vegetables and currant bushes and where there is much wind they don't thrive of all the years of my growing up the ones that bide clearest in my mind were eighteen hundred and three four and five this was for two reasons i had just then grown to an age when a child's eyes and ears take in and note down everything about him and there was more at that date to bear in mind than there ever has been since with me it was as i need hardly tell ye the time after the first peace when bonaparte was scheming his descent upon england he had crossed the great alp mountains fought in egypt drubbed the turks the austrians and the prussians and now thought he'd have a slap at us on the other side of the channel scarce out of sight and hail of a man standing on our english shore the french army of a hundred and sixty thousand men and fifteen thousand horses had been brought together from all parts and were drilling every day bonaparte had been three years in making his preparations and to ferry these soldiers and cannon and horses across he had contrived a couple of thousand flat-bottomed boats these boats were small things but wonderfully built a good few of em were so made as to have a little stable on board each for the two horses that were to haul the cannon carried at the stern to get in order all these and other things required he had assembled there five or six thousand fellows that worked at trades carpenters blacksmiths wheelwrights saddlers and what not oh twas a curious time every morning neighbor boney would muster his multitude of soldiers on the beach draw em up in line practice em in the manoeuvre of embarking horses and all till they could do it without a single hitch my father drove a flock of ewes up into sussex that year and as he went along the drover's track over the high downs thereabout 
he could see this drilling actually going on the accoutrement of the rank and file glittering in the sun like silver it was thought and always said by my uncle job sergeant of foot who used to know all about these matters that bonaparte meant to cross with oars in a calm night the grand query with us was where would my gentlemen land many of the common people thought it would be at dover others who knew how unlikely it was that any skilful general would make a business of landing just where he was expected said he'd go either east into the river thames or westward to some convenient place most likely one of the little bays inside the isle of portland between the beal and st albans head and for choice the three-quarter round cove screened from every mortal eye that seemed made a purpose out by where we lived and which i've climbed up with two tubs of brandy across my shoulders on scores of dark nights in my younger days some had heard that a part of the french fleet would sail right round scotland and come up the channel to a suitable haven however there was much doubt about the matter and no wonder for after years proved that bonaparte himself could hardly make up his mind upon that great and very particular point where to land his uncertainty came about in this wise that he could get no news as to where and how our troops lay in waiting and that his knowledge of possible places where flat-bottomed boats might be quietly run ashore and the men they brought marshalled in order was dim to the last degree being the flat-bottomed they didn't require a harbour for unshipping their cargo of men but a good shelving beach away from sight and with a fair open road toward london how the question posed that great corsican tyrant as we used to call him what pains he took to settle it and above all what a risk he ran on one particular night in trying to do so were known only to one man here and there and certainly to no maker of newspapers or printer of books or my account of it would not have made so many heads shaken over it as it has by gentry who only believe what they see in printed lines the flocks my father had charge of fed all about the downs near our house overlooking the sea and shore each way for miles in winter and early spring father was up a deal at nights watching and tending the lambing often he'd go to bed early and turn out at twelve or one and on the other hand he'd sometimes stay up till twelve or one and then turn into bed as soon as i was old enough i used to help him mostly in the way of keeping an eye upon the ewes while he was gone home to rest this is what i was doing in a particular month on either the year four or five i can't certainly fix which but it was long before i was took away from the sheep-keeping to be bound prentice to a trade every night at that time i was at the fold about half a mile or it may be a little more from our cottage and no living thing at all with me but the ewes and young lambs afeard nah, no i was never afeard of being alone at these times for i had been reared in such an outstep place that the lack of human beings at night made me less fearful than the sight of em directly i saw a man's shape after dark in a lonely place i was frightened out of my senses one day in that month we were surprised by a visit from my uncle job the sergeant in the sixty-first foot then in camp on the downs above king george's watering-place several miles to the west yonder 
uncle job dropped in about dusk and went up with my father to the fold for an hour or two then he came home had a drop to drink from the tub of spirits that the smugglers kept us in for housing their liquor when they'd made a run and for burning em off when there was danger after that he stretched himself out on the settle to sleep i went to bed at one o'clock father came home and waking me to go and take his place according to custom went to bed himself on my way out of the house i passed uncle job on the settle he opened his eyes and upon my telling him where i was going he said it was a shame that such a youngster as i should go up there all alone and when he had fastened up his stock and waist-belt he set off along with me taking a drop from the spirit tub in a little flat bottle that stood in the corner cupboard by and by we drew up to the fold and saw that all was right and then to keep ourselves warm curled up in a heap of straw that lay inside the thatched hurdles we had set up to break the stroke of wind when there was any to-night however there was none it was one of those very still nights when if you stand on the high hills anywhere within two or three miles of the sea you can hear the rise and fall of the tide along the shore coming and going every few moments like a sort of great snore of the sleeping world over the lower ground there was a bit of a mist but on the hill where we lay the air was clear and the moon then in her last quarter flung a fairly good light on the grass and scattered straw while we lay there uncle job amused me by telling me strange stories of the wars he had served in and the wounds he had got he had already fought the french in the low countries and hoped to fight em again his stories lasted so long that at last i was hardly sure that i was not a soldier myself and had seen such service as he told of the wonders of his tales quite bewildered my mind till i fell asleep and dreamed of battle smoke and flying soldiers all of a kind with the doings he had been bringing up to me how long my nap lasted i am not prepared to say but some faint sounds over and above the rustle of the ewes in the straw the bleat of the lambs and the tinkle of the sheep-bell brought me to my waking senses uncle job was still beside me but he too had fallen asleep i looked out from the straw and saw what it was that had aroused me two men in boat cloaks cocked hats and swords stood by the hurdles about twenty yards off i turned my ear thitherward to catch what they were saying but though i heard every word of it not one did i understand they spoke in a tongue that was not ours in french as i afterward found but if i could not gain the meaning of a word i was shrewd boy enough to find out a deal of the talker's business by the light of the moon i could see that one of em carried a roll of paper in his hand while every moment he spoke quickly to his comrade and pointed right and left with the other hand to spots along the shore there was no doubt that he was explaining to the second gentleman the shapes and features of the coast what happened soon after made this still clearer to me all this time i had not waked uncle job but now i began to be afeard that they might light upon us because uncle breathed so heavily through his nose i put my mouth to his ear and whispered uncle job what is it my boy he said as if he hadn't been asleep at all hush says i two french generals french 
says he yes says i come to see where to land their army i pointed em out but i could say no more for the pair was coming at that moment much nearer to where we lay as soon as they got as near as eight or ten yards the officer with a roll in his hand stooped down to a slanting hurdle unfastened his roll upon it and spread it out then suddenly he sprung a dark lantern open on the paper and showed it to be a map what be they looking at i whispered to uncle job a chart of the channel says the sergeant knowing about such things the other french officer now stooped likewise and over the map they had a long consultation as they pointed here and there on the paper and then hither and thither at places along the shore beneath us i noticed that the manner of one officer was very respectful toward the other who seemed much his superior the second in rank calling him by a sort of title that i did not know the sense of the head one on the other hand was quite familiar with his friend and more than once clapped him on the shoulder uncle job had watched as well as i but though the map had been in the lantern light their faces had always been in shade but when they rose from stooping over the chart the light flashed upward and fell smart upon one of em's features no sooner had this happened than uncle job gasped and sank down as if he'd been in a fit what is it what is it uncle job said i oh good god says he under the straw what says i bony he groaned out who says i bony party he said the corsican ogre oh that i had got but my new flinted firelock that their man would die but i haven't got my new flinted firelock and that their man must live so lie low as you value your life i did lie low as you mid suppose but i couldn't help peeping and then i too lad as i was knew that it was the face of bonaparte not no bony i should think i did know bony i should have known him by half the light of that lantern if i had seen a picture of his features once i had seen it a hundred times there was his bullet head his short neck his round yellow cheeks and chin his gloomy face and his great glowing eyes he took off his hat to blow himself a bit and there was the forelock in the middle of his forehead as in all the draughts of him in moving his cloak fell a little open and i could see for a moment his white fronted jacket and one of his epaulets but none of this lasted long in a minute he and his general had rolled up the map shut the lantern and turned to go down toward the shore then uncle job came to himself a bit slipped across in the night-time to see how to put his men ashore he said the like of that man's coolness eyes will never again see nephew i must act in this and immediate or england's lost when they were over the brow we crop out and went some little way to look after them halfway down they were joined by two others and six or seven minutes brought them to the shore then from behind a rock a boat came out into the weak moonlight of the cove and they jumped in it put off instantly and vanished in a few minutes between the two rocks that stand at the mouth of the cove as we all know we climbed back to where we had been before and i could see a little way out a larger vessel though still not very large 
the little boat drew up alongside was made fast at the stern as i suppose for the largest sailed away and we saw no more my uncle job told his officers as soon as he got back to camp but what they thought of it i never heard neither did he boney's army never came and a good job for me for the cove below my father's house was where he meant to land as this secret visit showed we coast folk should have been cut down one and all and i should not have sat here to tell this tale we who listened to old selby that night have been familiar with his simple gravestone for these ten years past thanks to the incredulity of the age his tale has been seldom repeated but if anything short of the direct testimony of his own eyes could persuade an auditor that bonaparte had examined these shores for himself with a view to a practicable landing-place it would have been solomon selby's manner of narrating the adventure which befell him on the down christmas eighteen eighty two end of story eight